This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. Yo. There's certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this. Hello, uh, this is Lynn of uh, Lynn and Jen, and let's talk about sex. And uh, today, we're returning, Jen and I, are returning to a topic that we've tried to record before. And we failed, Jen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we had some technical difficulties. We have some new recording equipment. And I still don't know exactly what happened, but I guess we had to format the SD card. Mm -hmm. And when we did that, we lost our recording. So we're back at this topic again. But it doesn't mean that we don't care about it because to go in again after we've talked about it a couple of times, it's, it's, it's even, hopefully it'll be even better for you, our listeners. But the subject we're discussing today is called emotional labor. And it was sparked by reading two articles by Gemma Hartley. And the first appeared on September 27th of this year and was entitled, Women Aren't Nags Were Just Sped Up, with a subtitle, Emotional Labor is the Unpaid Job Men Still Don't Understand. Uh, Then, even more so, a second, there was a huge response to this article. Gemma uh, stated that it was her favorite article she'd ever written, and there was a huge response online to this, and she published a, a second article On the 5th of October, men everywhere finally understand emotional labor. I think that's perhaps, that's a wish, but even a start in this area is important, right, Jen? Oh, absolutely. I'm kind of chuckling about it. But yeah, I mean, I I think it really speaks to the experience that emotional labor is not something that women are just suddenly discovering. What seems to be so powerful about this article is something about the way she wrote it. And it is a really well-written article. She wrote it in a way that men are reading it and are able to take in what she is saying in a way that they're not able to from their partners, from their spouses, from their wives. And I think that's so important. Yeah. As you said, this emotional labor has been around forever. And in terms of the encounter groups uh, that were started in the 60s and 70s between women themselves and men and women to really address early issues related to feminism, emotional labor came up as a subject, maybe not with this direct wording, but it was about the emotional burden that women bear in relationships, uh, the assumption may be that women are better at emotions, which is questionable. Women have, you know, some differences, but whether or not they're better at handling all of this, uh, and that isn't just a way to download the work to them, is really a questionable thing. But there were lots of encounter groups addressing this subject, many books and articles written about it. And I think in the gender wars, this was a big subject for a long time. It continues to be, is 
how what is the balance in relationships between men and women of emotional labor? Who does it? Who doesn't? What is it? And is it as burdensome as women portray it? And do men feel as defensive as they often seem to around it? Well, I think what comes up with emotional labor is it's very hard because it's trying to get someone to acknowledge the invisible work that is going on. So it's work that is generally behind the scenes and it's work that is exhausting. But because trying to get someone to acknowledge that that work is happening, in this case, a lot of times it's women trying to get men to acknowledge the work that is happening. When it is brought up, it creates a fight because it feels like a criticism to the that male partner of what they're doing and that what they hear is I'm not doing enough, but that's not really the message that is trying to be delivered. It's really trying to get an acknowledgement and understanding of how much is going on behind the scenes. And how much there is to be done. And how exhausting it is. <laughs> exactly. And Gemma, just briefly to recap, and we'd encourage everybody to read the articles. They're really interesting. And the comments. People make great comments. But Gemma was uh, around Mother's Day hopeful or asked her husband when he asked, what would you like? Uh, she said that she would like a housekeeper, one day of housekeeping and was hopeful that that would be her Mother's Day present. And then you see the whole kind of quiet back and forth uh, where it doesn't quite happen until the last day, Mother's Day, he ends up kind of doing some of the chores involved. Um, she has to watch the kids while this is going on. So it's additional work, and it really isn't what she wanted. She still has a lot of expectations around this. And this gets back to, you know, I think women are burdened with additional real labor hours, not just emotional labor, but household labor for women still is between 10 to 20 hours per week more. And so, then there's this additional emotional piece, which I think pushes women to the end. But she writes about it in a supportive way. She talks to her husband about it, and they're actually able to come to some resolution about it. Well, they do. It it takes some time it because time. It, it falls yeah. into the default patterns. But I think one of the things that I found so incredible about this article is that the way in which she highlighted the response. So many women, I think, went, oh, yeah. You know, I even shared it with some of my clients, my couple clients who were going through a very similar pattern. And a lot of them sort of jokingly said, oh, my God, did I write this article? Because it's so, so familiar. And I think what has been helpful is that maybe because it's coming from a third source, a lot of men have been able to look at it and go, oh, I do that. Oh, okay, this is what's going on, you know, and I think that is really where the conversation needs to go. And that's the conversation women have been trying to have. But I think as I see a lot of the times, because when I work with couples, obviously, I'm the third person in the room, I see myself that sometimes because I am outside of that couple dynamic, people, husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, they're able to hear what I'm saying differently 
than they are from their partner, even though I'm saying the same thing. And so I think this is an example of what's happening. She's not saying things that other people have not said before, but because she's sort of this outsider, the immediate defense doesn't go up. And you're raising a key issue, which is when we have conversations about gender, it's sometimes easier to hear certain positions from an outside person. And uh, it's not only men and women who are in these type of emotional relationships. It's men and men and women and women. Right. And there's struggles that run through that, too, that are similar. But it's universally, it is my experience, too, doing a lot of couples work, that they're able, the couple is able often to hear it from an outside person. When you're in the middle of the struggle coming from your partner, it's really hard to hear this. Well, it feels like a personal attack in a way that when it's coming from someone else, you're able to take it in without filtering through all of the, oh, they don't like me, or it doesn't bring up the same level of fears, attachment fears. And so then you're able to just hear the message and sort of process the message and think about the message instead of having to sort of protect yourself from the fears that are coming up from you. But I think what is so interesting is that, again, it was a perfect example because on the surface, all she wanted was a cleaning service. And so the husband believes that he is fulfilling that wish. But really, what she was looking for was for him to understand how much goes into even getting to hiring somebody for the cleaning service. And as you mentioned, and she mentions, you know, while he was cleaning the bathrooms, which is what he thought she wanted in particular, she then had to take care of the three children. And so she didn't really get the rest that she was looking for. <laughs> and and that, again, is being able to articulate what you need. And I think also talk honestly as couples about how you're going to balance the different tasks, even figuring in this emotional piece. And much of the emotional piece, as Gemma outlines it, is that you have to do the thinking and the planning ahead to coordinate something, right. such as getting a housekeeper in or coordinating an outing with the children, which right. he is able to do, the husband, and arrange everything. It's actually the thinking that goes in to many interactions within a couple and the planning. And that takes a lot of work, planning the dinners for the week, you know, planning the shopping, planning the holidays, which mm -hmm. are coming up soon. Mm -hmm. um, who's doing that planning? Who's calling the relatives, sending thank you notes and uh, online expressions, all of that. You know, who does all of that in a couple? And I think it's about the fact, because one thing she brought up that I think a lot of women were like, oh my God, yes, is she talks about how her husband's response, at least in the beginning, was all you have to do is ask me. And that even the asking is part of the emotional labor because it's it's having to, to think about what you want and then having to ask the other person instead of them just observing. And so what happened in this situation is there was like a gift trap box or something that had been lying on the floor for days. And it wasn't until like she trips over it in frustration and she's shorter than her husband. And so she's like struggling to shove it back up in the closet and he comes around and basically responds, well, you know, here, I, I can do it. All you have to do is ask me, like, why are you so frustrated about this? <laughs> and she breaks down because 
she recognizes like that's the whole point like i don't want to have to ask you and i think that is sort of the background work that you're talking about women are socialized to look around and think about all these things for other people oh this is here oh this probably needs to go there oh how you know oh the light bulb went out oh you know and and it's this constant having to think about other people or the environment around you and I think what she's talking about is that, you know, when it comes to the man's experience, it's sort of like, no, you just tell me and it'll get done. But the whole point is that I don't want to have to ask you. Like, you also need to learn to just be observant in this way. You know, a, a big one, I've talked about it many times, but the dishwasher. You know, the dishwasher is a huge, or dishes in the sink or around the, on the coffee table. It's a classic almost cliche argument that couples get into. And it isn't just about the dishes or, you know, about the certain order of things. It's really more about this emotional labor of thinking about other people, how it's going to affect them and the behind the scenes of it. Yes. Uh, but with individuals, and in this case, we're talking about men and their thinking. Right. Um, I think you you take your partner where they're at, and if they are not able to do this, and Gemma did a good job of illustrating this, you have to have conversations and exchanges that really lead in a positive direction. And I would say, if you want your husband slash partner to be more observant, you maybe say, these are the 10 things I'd like you to be looking at or thinking about. You watch the dishwasher, watch the table, watch the floor, watch how the kids are reacting at certain times. You know, and they may say, well, there's way too many things. I can't do all of this. But at least you're getting them started in thinking about some of this stuff. Sometimes it doesn't work. You know, I mean, uh, and that gets us back to it's better, I think, to have a third party sometimes say, look, let's take a look at this. And I joked with you last time we recorded this that I thought we should all have like cam recorders looking at who's really doing all this work in the households. And then women would show the film and say, see, I did 90 percent and there you are. And they'd have their proof. But would that make the relationship work? Maybe not. Right. I mean, I think that's the thing is that when women do bring this type of thing up or people who are in that quote unquote more feminized role in a relationship, then what happens is the response is that, you know, you're criticizing me and it makes the other person shut down. And so all they hear is, you know, as she directly says, and it might as well be a direct quote from one of my sessions, you know, look at everything I'm doing that you're not, you're a bad person for ignoring me and you're not pulling your weight. And so obviously if that's what a person hears and then they shut down, like that's not helpful for the relationship. And so a lot of people just go around and around in this cycle and it's, being able to understand that, you know, you have to find a way to bypass it. And a lot of the bypassing does come from an outside source. Mm -hmm. Or developing by the second article that she wrote, you develop a pattern of conversation so you can converse in a more positive way. And that's, I think, after the outside source, you're really struggling you know, to then move in that direction. Many relationships fail on this point alone on the emotional labor. 
you know, and that's important to know that I've done couples therapy a long oh, time. Yeah. Probably the biggest point, you know, between balance in a relationship and why relationships fail. Of course, there's another big area is sexuality and things related to that. But this is a very, very key point in relationships. Well, I think what's so striking, too, is a lot of times what I see is that women do get frustrated and they get fed up with it and they start to weigh out, is it even worth trying to bring this up with my partner? Because then we get this whole big blowout. They don't understand me. I feel frustrated. I'm still having to deal with this. And now I have the additional emotional labor of having to manage the fact that I'm seen as bringing this up. And what I see a lot of the times is couples will come in and they'll oscillate. And often the man will say, oh, I feel like we're doing better this week or I feel like we're doing better this month. And then I'll check in with, you know, their their partner and she'll say, well, we're doing better because I'm not saying anything. But what that leads to is a cycle of anger and often explosive anger. And so for the man, they're looking at it like, I don't understand why my wife is so moody and she's so crazy and, you know, she's fine one moment and she's not fine the other. And the truth is that this is playing out underneath. But part of the emotional labor is, you know, do you want to keep going through that cycle when it's not going anywhere? But the point you're bringing up, Jen, if you don't, you really risk losing the relationship because of the growth of your own anger and where this is going to go. So the conversations are hard about this. Getting extra help and extra perspectives is hard. Putting that book, you know, somewhere where your husband can or wife can read it, you know, is really key. And working in this area, you, you know, you can't give up on this area because It can really take down the whole relationship. Well, it does too because it's so exhausting. It's so exhausting. And when we're exhausted, we get snappy. We -hmm. get frustrated. We, you know, and I think that's just a classic thing. When people are exhausted, it's harder to function. And so women have been socialized to kind of take on this burden. And I think what she's really addressing is, okay, maybe it's true that men are not as good as at this. I also don't necessarily believe that from a biological standpoint, but you know, maybe they're not as good at this. Well, we need to teach them. Instead of just giving up and saying like, well, too bad. This is just how it is. We have to say, okay, maybe the dishwasher won't get loaded exactly the way I want, but the dishwasher is loaded. Or, you know, maybe, and I think what was so great about the second article is she talks about her doubt. So she normally plans these outings and her husband says, okay, I've got it. You know, I'm, I'm going to be on top of it. And, and she has a hard time trusting that too. But then when she gets in the car, you know, the kids are ready. There are little small details that are accounted for. And it makes her go, okay, maybe I can step back here a little bit. And that's really more of a balance. Because it's really not just about shoving it all on men either, which I think is how some men see it. And that's why their response is like, you know, I'm doing all these things. Look at all the things that I'm doing. And it just goes round and round. But it's really about figuring out a balance of it. And sharing it. Mm -hmm. And I think women have done more emotional labor as they've done actual physical labor in households. I mean, this is, there have been many, many Arlene Hochschild studies on at the second shift. I mean, many, many books written about this. But achieving that balance 
And it might be that you split and share different things. Some people are better at different things when you start to talk about it. You know, men might be better at coordinating outings and getting all the pieces involved with that and not so good maybe at the household cleaning. You know, I'm just using that as an example or vice versa. But you split some of these things and you work together to talk about them. And um, these articles are very helpful. I'd really encourage everyone at all ages to read them. You know, Gemma's a fairly young woman with three young children. But many of the couples I work with, they're still dealing with these issues. Yeah. In the 50s, 60s, 70s, this goes on. Retirement brings it on for, uh, you know, a lot of couples. Too. That's what I was going to say. That's one of the areas where I see it a mm -hmm. lot is in my couples who are retiring and also, I think in a lot of the older couples that I work with, they still are following a lot more of the gendered expectations, gendered norms, and norms for, you know, their generation. And because of that, it's harder to have these conversations because even just having these conversations feels like such an attack. And it really, really is perceived as, as critical. And one of the big things that I hear from the men is my wife is trying to control me. And I think that's the thing is like, this is not about trying to control somebody, but that is the perception. And I think, you know, men are taught to derive their power from this sense of controlling and fixing things. And so it really threatens their personal identity. And so instead of it being talking about behaviors, instead of it being talked about actions and the thinking process. It becomes, I am being attacked. And that's where maybe seeking out a third party to help with this, particularly around retirement. I've seen couples just for a few sessions around how will things be shifted now that one or both parties is at home? Right. And how will the household chores and emotional labor shift? And that's a very, very important transition for everyone to be aware of. Because you want to, if you can, grow closer at that time, not further apart. And there are different ways to deal that with it, but you've got to talk about it. It's really important to talk about it. I think the other thing to talk about that's very interesting that she brings up is like, for the most part, her husband is a very feminist father, very feminist partner. And yet he still struggles with this concept of emotional labor. And so I think what was so fascinating and interesting for me is you see a lot of the responses where guys, you know, who were sent this article, they open it and they read it. And at first they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm one of the good ones. This isn't going to be about me because I'm a feminist. And it, it really is, I think, eye-opening to, to them. And I think that also is a frustration for women because they're like, we have been saying this forever. But it's really about how do you, you know, now that people are looking at it differently, how do you continue these conversations? How do you engage in them on your own so that you can better your own relationship? Yeah. Well, bro, closing up with this, I'd really encourage our listeners to read the articles by Gemma Hartley in September and October online. And um, they're wonderful. And they help, I think, give some strategies. And I, I think also 
at key points uh, to think about getting a third-party perspective. And there's many different ways to do that. Relationships uh, are struggles. You know, there's a lot of struggle involved and getting another perspective is often very helpful. And often it coming from friends. That's a big source that I see, you know, so maybe you send it to your husband or your partner and they're not quite getting it, but then they talk about it with their friend and then, you know, so it's important to start that dialogue because even if it's not happening just between you and your partner directly, by bringing it out, they may have a dialogue with someone else that they can then come back and have a different kind of conversation with you. Yeah. Well, we're going to keep talking about this and we hope to hear more about emotional labor from you, our listeners, too. So thank you for listening. Thank you. Come on. Let's talk about sex.